I tell you what, man, what a blessed group of servants we have here. Had water, more water than I could handle up here. That's awesome. And what a great time spent in worship with you this morning. God is so good. These guys are so good at what they do. It's always a blessing to invade their space and play along with them, you know. Uh, but uh, if you need a Bible, we want to get one put in your hands right now so we can get into the Word of God. So just raise your hand and, and they'll see you and they'll make sure the Bible gets to you. Everybody have a, uh, well, you survived the new year at least, right? I know it's been a fat minute since uh, I've been behind the pulpit, and, but it's been good to just have some time to relax and refresh and refocus and hang with the fam and and yet be here and enjoy what's, what God's doing here as well. Uh, so let's take our Bibles, or maybe you have a, some kind of device you're following along in, and that's okay as well, and uh, let's turn in them to the book of Habakkuk, uh, and we're going to finish the book today, chapter 3, verses, all the verses, 1 through 19, in a message that I have entitled, Prayer, Perspective, and Praise. And so with that, let's take our hearts to the Lord. God, once again, we just say thank you for uh, joining us together. You are so good. And uh, we just love, Lord, to uh, rest in your presence. And we pray, God, today that you would speak to us. uh, Lord, that our hearts would be uh, tilled up and, and fertile soil for the seed of your word. And so we just give this time to you, and we offer our attentive ear to you uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. A family Habakkuk or Habakkuk had a problem. His nation was sinking into the quagmire of sin and rebellion against the ways and the word of God. And, you know, the wicked seemed to prosper while the righteous seemed to suffer. And he was surrounded by plundering and violence, strife and contention, and he wondered if God was going to do anything about it. How long was his question? Uh, But when God revealed to him his plan, it troubled him even more. You remember they were kind of having this little back and forth experience where God was saying, Habakkuk, I'm going to do a work in your day that even if I were to tell you, you wouldn't believe it. And Habakkuk was like, no, I'd believe it. And he's like, you wouldn't believe it. And he's like, I'd believe it. And so God told him, he said, I don't believe it. I just can't believe it. God's plan was to use a nation more wicked than his people to punish his people. And Habakkuk could not connect those dots. It was like he was doing the math, but it just wasn't adding up. And the prophet was perplexed. However, he knew that God was righteous, that God was just, and that he would always do the right thing. And so if there was a problem, it's not on the end of God's wisdom, you see, but rather it's on my ability to comprehend God's ways. And I just want to encourage you with that as well, because so many times we're having trouble understanding what's going on. God, what are you, how could in all of these things? Well, listen, whenever you come across something you don't understand, just revert back to the things you do understand. Like Habakkuk did. I know God loves me. I know God is good. I know he's always going to do the right thing by me eternally for my growth and his glory, you see. And so Habakkuk got alone and he waited for God to speak to him. Oh, he knew, he knew, didn't he, that he had kind of mouthed off a bit and that, you know, correction was uh, coming his way. And so he said, well, I'm going to wait and I'm going to watch, and I'm going to see what he says to me and how I will respond when I am 
corrected. And chapter two is God's reply, and the gist is that God says, look, I'm gonna answer you, Habakkuk, but the answer isn't just for you. So you remember the words, write the vision down. The idea is it's not for a temporary time, but it it needs to be uh, made permanent, and it needs to be made plain so that the one who hears it can run with it, that is, share the truth of it with others. And and that's something that I think we do well to tuck away, that God's word, not only should it be insightful, but that it should be impactful in our lives. We, we want God's word to make a permanent uh, impact upon us every time we get into it. And it should be plain. It should be easy to understand. And God told him that he was going to need to be patient because he was going to deal with this dilemma, but it was going to take place at the appointed time. You see, God has this divine timetable. He's not just gunning from the hip, but he does all things orderly and according to his plan, you see. And, but he told him, behold the proud, he is, his soul is not upright within him. That is, uh, he is twisted, he is sinful, but the just, you remember, shall live by his faith. That is, Habakkuk, the just will live in such a way as to be waiting on me, to be trusting in me. And God went on to share with him and show to him the inner workings, you remember, of Babylon, this nation that was coming, that was going to take them ultimately into captivity. And he said, you know, essentially, even though that God was using them, he wasn't in any way justifying them. No, they would be held accountable for the fact that they were greedy, uh, that they increased through thievery and uh, uh, brutality. They had this sense of false security that they enjoyed. They were a people of debauchery and idolatry, and they were sowing, and he said, trust me, they will be reaping as well. So though Judah will be disciplined, Habakkuk, uh, Babylon will be destroyed, okay? Now chapter three is the prophet's Response. No protest here, only prayer and praise having received the proper perspective. So if you'll look with me, the very first verse of Habakkuk chapter three, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shijionoth. Now, uh, there's a a little uncertainty as to what exactly this word uh, Shijionoth, if I even say that right, uh, means. But it seems to be a, kind of a related to a verb that means to reel to, uh, to, to reel to and fro. And the thought is that it's to be set to this energetic, enthusiastic tune of the songs of triumph and or victory. It's the word this much we know is very emotionally charged. And, and I'll flash forward for you to the very last verse of this chapter where uh, Habakkuk uh, sends this chapter over to the chief musician with stringed instruments. And so it seems that he had uh, kind of this plan to ensure that this song would be sung in the worship circle, a song of praise, a song of deliverance, a song of triumph. And so look now, verse two, he says, O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember Mercy. I have this whole verse underlined. You know, there's a number of things that we want to draw out here. Uh, Again, if you remember right, there in uh, chapter 2, Habakkuk 
had purpose to wait and see what God would say in response to his uncertainty, uh, to his inability to put the pieces of the, of the plan together. And, and then he says, you know, how I will respond when I am corrected. Well, now he says, I've heard. I've heard your speech and was afraid. And not only in the sense that he was afraid of what was coming with regard to the Babylonian invasion or something like that, but that, as we will see, the context will clear up for us that he was given a glimpse of the glory and the might of the living God, and his response was the fear of God. It's like his perspective was transformed from one of confusion to confidence, uh, from gloom to glory, from from worry to worship and from sadness to singing. And what aided him in this transformation was a proper appreciation, okay, for the greatness of God. And let me just say that the fear of God is healthy for you and for me when we realize the holiness and the magnitude and the might of all that he encompasses, which by the way, we we can't, can we? There's no way that we can comprehend the fullness of, of the might and the glory and the holiness of God. But when we get just a glimpse of that, it has this way of shrinking our problems, of calming our concerns, and renewing our confidence knowing that God is in control, that he loves us and as we mentioned earlier, is for us and not against us, has thoughts of peace and not of evil toward us to give us a future and a hope. And it feels a lot like in our day, doesn't it? Like, God, how long is this gonna happen? When are we gonna, you know, and God be like, look, I can tell you, but you gotta understand, I'm still at work, I'm still in control, all things are still moving forward according to my plan. And that's the place to which Habakkuk is coming as we enter in now to chapter three. Throughout the entirety of this little book, uh, there's been this little kind of back and forth dialogue, hasn't there, between the prophet and, and the Lord. But Habakkuk hasn't really requested anything from God. Oh, he's asked questions, he's presented problems, but not really made any petitions. Well, here he makes two, doesn't he? We might say that he petitioned God for a fresh manifestation of his power and an undeserved measure of his pardon. He requested might and mercy. He was asking God for revival. Oh Lord, revive your work. Notice, in the midst of the years, in other words, right in the middle of everything going on, God, let's not wait, let's get it going, right here, right now, in the middle of it all, you see. Right here in the middle of all this trouble we find ourselves in, oh God, revive your work. Now allow me to make an application for you, because Judah had seen some good times, some uh, good years, but as I say, some years had gone by and there began to be a waxing and a waning of their love for God, their passion toward God. And now they found themselves drifting and dare I say, even distant from God. Can I just say 
that same thing can happen to you and to me. You know, we've known the Lord for a while. It's been really good. We've drawn near to him. But as we've walked with him for a number of years, our passion begins to wax a bit. Our love for God begins to cool off. And we drift. Well, can I encourage you as we see here in the scripture this morning, cry out to God that he might revive his work right here, right now, in the midst of it all, in the middle of the years, in the midst of the mess, you see, oh God, revive your work. You're at a place where maybe hope is running thin, you know, you find yourself like uh, Jacob when he was convinced that he had lost Joseph and all, everything was just against him and his life was crumbling around him or maybe, you know, there you are and you're dry and parched spiritually, much like Samson was physically when after that arduous battle, he was dying literally of thirst and you can cry out to God for revival, for a time of renewing, He wants to, listen now, revive you. You know, when Jacob heard the words that Joseph sent back to him from Egypt, we read in Genesis 45 that his spirit, well, our word is revived. He was given hope where previously he had none. You know, when Samson prayed, there he was on the battlefield, and maybe that's how you feel, strung out, you're just dying there, you know, parched spiritually as he was physically, he was just drained, and he cried out to God, and God split the rock, and water came out. He drank, and his spirit returned. He was, again, our word is, revived, Judges 15 and verse 19. He was refreshed, listen to me, by living waters. Now, of course, Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me, right? The living rock and and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers or torrents or gushes of living water. Times of refreshing, uh, renewal, and revival are found in falling before Jesus Christ, uh, coming to Jesus Christ, calling upon Jesus Christ. They're found in renewing your relationship to the word of God. Psalm 119 and verse 107 says this, I am afflicted very much. Anyone, don't have to raise your hand. Anyone here feel that way? Notice, revive me. O Lord, according to or by the means of your word. Habakkuk prayed for revival. And let's notice that in praying this prayer, he acknowledged, he's acknowledging the fact that true revival is the result of the work of God. It's not by any means the achievement of man. You know, over the years, I'm going to be honest with you, I've been a little like, um, I don't know, baffled as to why churches plan revivals. Uh, you know, as if we can determine that January 14th, 15th, and 16th, the Lord is going to bring revival, 
And if you want to be in on that, you need to be at this bat place at this bat time, right? Um, by the way, the bat thing, I, sometimes I got to explain to younger people, and what does he mean, bat place, bat time? When, we, when I was like your age, um, there was actually, Batman was not an epic motion picture, right? He was a little like half hour daily program after school. And every day they'd leave you on this hang, at this hang, you know, uh, cliffhanger, and it'd be like, tune in next week, same bat time, same bat place. That's why I said that. I digress. Now, listen, I understand what they're communicating, that they, they want to take the time to focus on the Lord. It's their heart's desire to receive from the Lord. And so they're setting aside time to simply dedicate or focus on the Lord. And that's fantastic. I mean, I, I, I'm behind all of that. And it may just be a matter of semantics and a bit of a pet peeve, but I'm just saying choose a different word. Let's not call it revival. And I'm not saying revival can't happen there, right? God could do it. But let's, you know, like call it a time of seeking. Uh, call it, a, you know, a time of praying, a time of receiving. But revival, listen, that's something only God can do, okay? It's not by our plans or our achievements. Now, is there anything we can do to open the opportunity if you will, for God to move. Yes, we can do what Habakkuk is doing here. We can pray. We can cry out to God. We can plead for his reviving work in the midst of the years, but make no mistake, revival has nothing to do with the plans, accomplishments, achievements of man. It is the sovereign work of the Spirit of God. And let's pay attention to the words here. He says, revive your work. Now, I think if we were to be honest, though we may not pray this way directly, oftentimes underneath the carefully crafted petition is really, God, revive my work. You know, I really want to see what I'm doing blow up here, you see. Now, is it wrong to want to see uh, a ministry or whatever you may be about personally explode and you know reach the masses no the the question is is why you know i think that we should all have a heart if this is your church home you should have a heart to see what's happening here grow more and more and to reach more and more but not so that attention is drawn to us or you know uh how cool we are or, you know, what trends we may be able to set or, you know, whatever the case may be, but that Christ might be magnified, that God might be glorified, that his kingdom might be increased. Guys, I, I just trust that your burden is with me and that we want to populate heaven and empty the pits of hell by the work and the word of the gospel, yeah? Okay, so let's pray, right? Let's pray for revival. In the midst of the years. Hey, why, why does it have to be, why can't we see, you understand, right here, right now, God, let it begin. And not only in the body, listen now, not only in the body, generally, but what about in your life personally? Yes, we want to see the church revived. 
Oftentimes we talk about, you know, maybe how the church is dying or, man, we wish the church offered this ministry or was better able to connect in this area, you see. But let's not forget, you and me, we are the church. Okay? It starts with you. And it starts with me. And he says, make it known. In other words, God, just let your work be seen. Right? Oh, God, that you would be magnified. And in wrath, remember mercy. Boy, that's like every Bible should have that underlined. You know what I'm talking about? What a great word. We're crying out for revival. What we deserve is wrath. But God, in wrath, remember mercy. God, I'm not asking for what we deserve. (laughs) I'm asking for mercy. And that's what mercy is, isn't it? It's, It's not getting what we deserve. We definitely don't pray for merit, do we? No, we pray for mercy. And I'm so glad that we serve a God who delights in showing mercy. And I love what we read in Micah chapter 7. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever. Why? Because he delights in mercy. Come on, that's an amen. (laughs) And even more so, not only does God delight in mercy, he desires to pour out grace not only to not give us what we do deserve, in other words, but also to give us what we don't deserve. Forgiveness of sin, everlasting life, the precious person of the Holy Spirit to live in and abide with us. God does these things for us out of his grace. He pours it out on us, you see. By the way, and this may be a word for someone today, You know, if you're anything like me, we can be eager to cry out for mercy when we're standing before the hot seat, you know, there before God. But too often we're slow to show mercy when someone is perhaps standing in the hot seat in front of us. You understand what I mean? Listen, if you want to receive mercy, then be merciful. James said it like this, he said, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. I love that. It always reminds me of my friend Bernard, oh Jeff, show mercy, show mercy here, he's a Nigerian, right, and I know, and uh, that's his catchphrase, he's always like, oh, show mercy, you know. Um. But Jesus put it even more plainly when he said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. In other words, with the measure we use, it will be measured back to us. So how much mercy do you want to receive, right? Well, listen, in wrath, remember mercy. Now, 
Now the prophet puts forth a hymn of praise. It's like he's received this vision of the greatness of God. Now some believe what we're getting ready to read uh, looks back to the deliverance of Israel from Egypt. Others see it as a flash forward uh, to the coming again of Christ. Honestly, uh, I believe there's room for both. And it's common for prophecy to have these manifold fulfillments and and for God to remind us of the past to assure us of his present and future faithfulness. And the idea is that if God has, has delivered us in the past, he has plans to deliver us yet in the future, then it stands to reason that his deliverance will abide in the present, right? Now, it doesn't mean that tough times will never visit us, but that God will always remain faithful to us in the midst of it, working again toward our growth and his glory, okay? So look with me. Verse three, God came from Timon, the holy one from Mount Paran or Paran or however you say, and then we have this word Selah. Now we see this word Selah commonly in the Psalms, and the idea is that of like a rest, uh, you know, perhaps a musical um, interlude, a time of reflecting, upon what has been said. You know, if you're like me, and I trust that you are because you're a human being, and so you, you have emotions, right? And, and music kind of can have this way of tugging on the heartstrings, you know, one way or another. Am I alone on that? Okay, thank you. You know, and when that guitar solo or that, you know, musical break takes place during worship, guys, it's not just so we can admire great musicianship or something but so that we might have time to kind of marinate, to kind of meditate, to think through what's being said or what's being sung. What are the words that are actually coming out of my mouth and how should that impact me? How should that encourage me? And it should, it should turn our hearts to God in praise and admiration. It should strengthen our resolve, you see, to trust in him. And so if that hasn't been what you've taken that up, and it's cool, guys, I, 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 I play music, I love good music, I love to watch good players, but try to stay in that zone when you're in the worship circle, so to speak. Take those opportunities to allow that to draw you nearer to him, to place your focus on him, and again, to strengthen your resolve to trust in him. You know, Habakkuk has been thinking about how the Babylonians will execute judgment, but God wants to remind him that he will bring salvation. Sometimes our eyes get off on the wrong thing, don't they? We're thinking about you know, this over here, but God's saying, hey, look, I want you to focus on this right here. Focus on me. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth, right? Now look at verse four, guys, and we're gonna shift gears here. It says, um, Actually, let me finish uh, verse three. His glory covered the heavens and his earth was full of his praise and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. He had rays flashing from his hand and there his power was hidden, notice. Before him went pestilence and fever followed at his feet. Again, talking perhaps about both what happened in Egypt and then obviously what's coming with regard to tribulation. But and guys, there are obviously things we could talk about. I just wanna highlight a couple of things quickly along the way. I want you to notice that we read that his brightness was like the light, notice, 
And there, okay, I'm skipping over, he had rays flashing from his hand, you know, the, the lightning and all. And there, his power was hidden, okay? So his brightness was like the light, and there, his power was hidden. This is like a paradoxical, kind of a counterintuitive statement, isn't it? It's like saying, his glory conceals his glory, okay? John said this, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now, to add to that, what Habakkuk is essentially saying here is that God is greater than the most majestic description that could ever be articulated, okay? The light that emanates from him only serves to conceal him. His power is concealed in his glory, you see. He dwells in unapproachable light. Think about that. Now in verse six it says, he stood and measured the earth. He looked and startled the nations and, and the everlasting mountains were scattered, the perpetual hills bowed. His ways, again, underline it, ever are everlasting. God is not a man that he should lie. There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand, right? Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word, God's ways will never by any means pass away. His ways are everlasting. Okay, verse seven and I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction, the curtains of the land of Midian trembled. O Lord, you were pleased, or were you displeased with the rivers? Was your anger against the rivers? Was your wrath against the sea? He's referencing the parting of the seas and the standing of the rivers and all, that you rode on your horses, your chariots of salvation, your bow was made quite ready. Oaths were sworn over your arrows. Again, he says, Think about that, how God delivered his people, Selah. The power, the might, and the majesty with which he delivered them. You divided the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and trembled. The overflowing of the water passed by. The deep uttered its voice and lifted its hands, right? On high. Think about that. The sun and moon stood still in their habitation. At the light of your arrows, they went at the shining of your glittering spear. This, of course, reminds us of when Joshua fought at the battle of Gibeon and how he prayed, and the sun stood still for 24 hours in Joshua chapter 10. Again, rehearsing the faithfulness of God to save, to deliver, to preserve his people. Why? Because they're on the precipice of some harsh discipline, right? So he's rehearsing God's faithfulness that we serve a God who brings salvation. Notice verse 12. You marched through the land in indignation. You trampled the nations in anger. You went forth for the salvation of your people, for salvation with your anointed. You struck the head from the house of the wicked by laying bare from foundation to neck Think about that, Selah. Now again, guys, this may not be 
the exact interpretation, though there is certainly room for it. And, and the reason I say that is because, you guys, how many of you realize that the Bible only has one interpretation? People are like, well, that's your interpretation. No, 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 no. The Bible only has one interpretation. It only says what it says, right? But we do understand that there's, there's manifold application, okay? One interpretation, many applications, And I'm drawing out an application here for you. I want you to underline the first half of verse 13, okay? You went forth for the salvation of your people, for salvation with your anointed. That is Mashiach, your Messiah. Ladies and gentlemen, what do we have tucked away here in this itty-bitty, often neglected book of Habakkuk? The gospel. The gospel. Jesus put it like this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God sent his son into the world, right? You went forth. Christ came forth. Not for the condemnation of the world, but for the salvation of your people. For salvation with your anointed, that the world through him might be saved. For God made him, that is Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Selah, (laughs) think about that. Think about that. And guys, I just, I'm gonna keep the pace here, but I just wanna encourage you and remind you that when you believe something, you don't believe from here, from your head, right? I mean, you might be able to acknowledge something in your mind, you know? I mean, I acknowledge that Hitler had a certain philosophy. I don't believe it, right? Because you believe from the heart. So you gotta be able to separate. In other words, the Bible, Paul said in Romans, you know, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness. And then with the mouth confession is made to salvation. So when I say believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm not like, well, just acknowledge that a guy named Jesus lived and died and maybe he rose again. Maybe that's all true. So now am I saved? No. You've got to believe it. You've got to believe it. You've got to believe from the heart, Right? Verse 14, you thrust through with his own arrows the head of his villages. They came out like a whirlwind to scatter me. Their rejoicing was like feasting on the poor in secret. You walked through the sea with your horses through the heap of great waters. And when I heard, my body trembled. My lips quivered at the voice. Remember, I was afraid. And rottenness entered my bones, and I trembled in myself that I may rest in the day of trouble. When he comes up to the people, he will invade them with his troops. I, I just love this verse, especially, you know, obviously the first half, because it's, and I've got it all underlined there, and it's because it's the appropriate response of a man who's seen the glory of God and caught a glimpse of the sovereign power of God. He says, my body trembled. 
My lips quivered and rottenness entered my bones. The idea is like I couldn't stand. I collapsed in his presence. I couldn't stand uh, in his presence. Perhaps you recall when Isaiah saw the Lord there, chapter six, high and lifted up, the train of his robe filled the temple, the seraphim flying about his throne with two wings covering his eyes, two wings covering his his, uh, feet, and with two they flew and they circled and flew round about crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory and the house was filled with smoke and Isaiah seeing this was overwhelmed by the this and he said woe is me for I am undone for I am a man of unclean lips rottenness entered his bones you see the the clarity of the holiness of God served to magnify the sinfulness in his being in his heart as Paul would say I'm the chief of sinners right he understood the holiness he said I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king man the Lord of hosts. When Daniel saw a vision of the Lord, you remember he fell on his face. He said, no strength remained in me for my vigor was turned to frailty in me and I retained no strength. And when you read that chapter, it's almost, if it's not so overwhelming, it's almost kind of comical because the picture is of him laying, you know, uh, prostrate on his face and, 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 and the Lord's still talking to him, or the angel, and, but it's like he can't, he can't move. And so he's like, I'm listening to him, but I can't move or look at him. He's just, wham. And then, then, you know, he stood up and given strength and all of that. But it's that overwhelming reality of the holiness of God. John, in Revelation 1, when he saw the Lord, it said that he fell at his feet as though dead. Think about that. Peter said, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Habakkuk was overwhelmed at the greatness and the power and the majesty of God. Now that he has a proper perspective, he gives God praise. And isn't that the appropriate response? His faith isn't found in his circumstance, in how much money he has, or how great things may or may not be. It's found in the Lord. Guys, circumstantial hardship does not in any way diminish the power and the glory and the might of our God. He comes to realize here that hardship and devastation shouldn't distract me from God, but drive me to deeper devotion and dependence upon God. Notice verse 17. He says, and I love this, gosh, I love this, though the fig tree may not blossom, and I realize we're not like an agricultural kind of people, so it may not resonate, it's very poetic, but it goes from bad to worse, right? Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. I love that. 
things again going from bad to worse, that won't diminish his faith. How about you? You know, you lose your job. They're coming for your house. That's the kind of thing that he's talking about. You find yourself waiting in line at the local shelter to just give food for your family. Someone close to you betrays you. Circumstances seeming to work against you. You find your health failing. Will that diminish your faith? Behold the proud. His soul is not upright within him, but the just shall live by his faith. And listen, faith isn't blind to tough times. He's calling it like it is here, isn't he? Yet he realizes that God's love is not circumstantial. Though he slay me, yet will I what? Trust him. Guys, we can't always rejoice over our circumstances. Sometimes there are times we may have to weep over our circumstances. But we also know that this world is not our home. We set our minds on things above, not on things of the earth. Our rejoicing isn't in the flocks. It's not in the figs. Our faith isn't in the fruit of the field. It's in the Lord. And God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So if you want the New Testament equivalent of these verses here, 17 and and 18, you can write it down and read it later. It's Philippians chapter 4 verses 11 through 13, okay? And this joy, guys, it's a real thing that he's talking, the word rejoice is jump up and down and joy is spin around, right? He's like, he's, he's rejoicing in the Lord. Notice verse 19, another good one to underline. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. He will make me walk on my high, hill, hill, my high hills, and again, to the chief musician with my stringed instruments. So again, you guys, from confusion to confidence, right, chapter one to chapter three, from pleading to praising, from gloom to glory, from wandering and worrying to worship, and the transition was found in the understanding of the greatness of God. The Lord God. Guys, this is so important that you catch this. Don't tune out on me. The Lord God is my strength. Again, not my bank account, not my ingenuity, my resources or abilities. It's not by might nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Listen, you may be in a rocky place, but God will by his spirit, give you sure footing. That's this idea of the deer's feet. You know, you see him leaping over fences or jumping up on the hills or whatever the case may be. In other words, you will be more than a conqueror. He, who's doing the heavy lifting here? Not me, not you. He, God, you see, will make you walk on your high places. Uh, Through Christ Jesus, you will be more than a conqueror through him who has loved you and given himself for you. So the secret of the Christian life is Christ in you. Pray, cry out to God for revival. Look, guys, it's Habakkuk's prayer. Let me ask you a question. Did it change the circumstance around him? No, it most definitely did not. But through prayer, God certainly changed 
the heart and the mind within him, right? Prayer, perspective leads to what? Praise, praise. Let's pray. God, you are so good and greatly to be praised. And we thank you, Lord, for adjusting our perspective even today and for reminding us that you are a God of salvation and that you have sent Jesus Christ to save us all. Increase our faith. Help us to find our strength, our joy in you. We bless your holy name. And while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and we're kind of in this prayer posture and maybe thinking about life or thinking about something God has ministered to us or made real for us, I just want to encourage you. God has sent forth his son for salvation. And if you've not received the Lord, you've never surrendered to the Lord, I want to encourage you to do it right here, right now. God has loved you. Jesus has died for you. Turn from your sin, trust in him today, and you'll never be the same. I don't know, maybe everybody here knows God. Maybe everybody here loves God. And today is a day of renewal. That's great. But it may be an awakening for you. Of man, this is... uh, This isn't what I'm accustomed to. And I need, I need God's forgiveness. If that's you, I want to pray for you. Again, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, so I'm not trying to draw attention to you. I just, I want to pray for you. So if you will show me who you are, if this is for you, just raise your hand. And if I see your hand, I'll I'll say it and you can put it back down. But I just want to give you a second here to say, you know what? Yeah. I need to give my life to Jesus Christ. This, so this is your moment. Anybody? Okay. Okay. Well, then let's take a moment. And guys, well, here we are. We have this little musical interlude happening here, right? Let's think about what God has shown us. Perhaps what he shared with us. Maybe he's spoken something to you that he wants to, hey man, let's, let's deal with this. Hey, let's, let's crucify that. Give this to me. And here you are. Crying out. Oh God, in the midst of the years, (laughs) revive your work. Father, again, we pray that now that your word has gone forth, that the seed would find fertile soil in our hearts and bring forth fruit for your glory. We love you. 
God, again, we thank you for the ready reminder that it's not through circumstance that you show your love, but that while we were still sinners, Jesus, you died for us. And no greater love has anyone than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Thank you, Lord, that you've called us friends. We just pledge our hearts to you fresh once again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Guys, why don't we stand to our feet? You really did it. You've made it through yet another time in the word of God. And may the Lord bless you and be with you. And as always, may his spirit rest in power fresh upon you. You know, in uh, the Gospel of John there, I don't know, around the 14th verse where he's talking about, for the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And he says, and of his goodness we have all received and grace for grace. He has this, and grace for grace. It's like, what does grace for grace mean? Well, here's what it means. You remember when Jesus prayed, Give us this day our daily bread. You remember when back in the book of Exodus they had to go out and gather the manna every single day because it was only going to be good for that day and they couldn't try to use yesterday's provision for today's necessities because they were to seek fresh every day. Well, that's, that's the, the New Testament equivalent when John says, and grace for grace. In other words, God wants you to give him the grace that you were working with yesterday for a fresh measure that he wants to give you today. Grace for grace, grace for grace. So may you leave here just fresh, uh, again, with the power of God's spirit and his grace upon you. And if you have any need for prayer, that's why we gather down here just to avail ourselves for whatever your need may be. Maybe the Lord was speaking to you, doing some new work in you. Maybe there's something that's completely unrelated to what we was talking about. This time's for you, okay? So let's pray, then we'll dismiss you. And if you need prayer, you come right on down. Father, we thank you again just for meeting with us and ministering to us. God, we just thank you for your goodness, your greatness, your grace, and your mercy. We thank you that you delight in showing mercy. And may we be a people who are merciful to the glory of your name. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great Sunday afternoon.